We're in Romans chapter 16 today. I don't have a lot of time to get into it, but um, that's good because I'm at the very end of it. So we are, we're, we're nearing the end of Romans. Actually, we're not nearing the end. This is the end of Romans today. We are ending Romans today. That, you will not hear that from this pulpit very often, that we're ending a book uh, because it takes us a long time to get through a book. But again, we're not in a race to get through a book. We, we really want to go in. And you know, one of the things that I'd shared with the guys up there was talking about Proverbs chapter 2. It was a passage that I read to my son uh, the day that he was born that I held up. You know, my son to the Lord, and this was the, the, the verse or the, the, the chapter that I read over my son. And, uh, you know, it was talking about, you know, uh, you know, if you search for wisdom, if you seek for her as for hidden treasure, then you will find. It's an if and then proposition. It's an if and then proposition. And uh, as I was uh, uh, saying that, I, I, you know, Proverbs chapter 2, there's something that I, I always reference to in that passage in that chapter, in that uh, it always reminds me of a Christian in how a person views the Word of God. Uh, and, and it's in that that sometimes we, we approach the Word of God like a tourist does when he or she goes and visits a different land and you know, a, a, a vacation spot. A tourist goes in, they hit the highlights of things, they, they hit the high, you know, the restaurants that they want to hit, they go to the beaches or whatever, or the mountains or the ponds or whatever it is that that land highlights. They go and hit those areas, but they don't spend a lot of time in those areas because they want to hit the other highlights so that they can get back home and say, hey, I did all these things and it was a wonderful thing and I had a great time. There's nothing wrong with being a tourist. There's nothing wrong. But... There's sometimes when we approach the Word of God, that's how we approach the Word of God, like tourists. We just kind of want to hit the highlights. You know, we just want to get into the Word very quickly and kind of hit the highlights. And, and okay, yeah, I got it, got it, got it, got it. You know, and then there are other uh, ways that we can approach the Word of God. And that would be not like a tourist, but much more like an archaeologist. An archaeologist will go to one place and stop and camp there and not move until he's done or she is done with their study. They go there and they dig and they meticulously dig with small instruments and when they find something, they even slow down even more. And they wipe away and they carve a little and they wipe away and they you know dig out a little bit more of the dirt and they wipe away with their little brushes and they spend a meticulous and and real amount of time in one little area because they want to make sure that they don't damage the goods they that they that they that they are able to capture every little single detail of that which is there and that's another way that we are to approach the word of god and and that's kind of what we do as we go through a book I try to go about it as a tourist, but also as an archaeologist. I like to, to hit the highlights, but I also want to get down deep and look at some of these things, kind of like what we did last time when we talked. We kind of looked at some of the people's names, right? We looked at Phoebe's name, and her name, her name is Diocanus. And, 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 and her name literally means, you know, basically, or, or I'm sorry, her name means dainty, but, but her her. Uh, her service was that she was a servant. She was a deaconess. She was she was somebody that could that that was a that was operating in the role of a deacon in a church. And and we looked at the words that were used to describe Phoebe. And as we looked at the words that describe Phoebe, we understood a little bit more about her life and why Paul would make such a large statement about Phoebe. And saying, hey, this woman has done so many things. This woman has done some great things. She's a servant in the church. The doulos, uh, the, or the diaconess, I'm sorry. Not the doulos, uh, but the uh, servant, which is the diaconess of the church in Centuria, that you may receive her in the Lord, he says there in verse 1 of chapter 16, in a manner worthy of the saints. And you assist her in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. And so he spends two verses on there really detailing a little bit about Phoebe and how much he cares for her and how much he wants the church that she's going to there in Rome from Centuria. 
She's leaving the church in Centria to go to the church in Rome to go and maybe visit. I don't know. We don't really know her business there. But she is going to Rome. And as she goes to Rome, these are the things that Paul says, hey, spread out the carpet for her, man. You do for her what it is that she's asking. Do it in my name because of your relationship that you have with me. And so instead of just hitting the highlights, we kind of go down into some into some, some deeper digging into the word. Because as you get into a little deeper digging into the word, there's so many golden nuggets that are unearthed in times like that. Don't you find that? You know, I was in Roma or I was sorry, I was in First uh, Timothy chapter one, verse five one time. And it's it really is the longest time I've ever been in one location at, at ever since I've been studying the Bible. First Corinthians, or I'm sorry, First Timothy 1.5 says, the purpose that Paul's talking to Timothy, he's passing this on, he says, Timothy, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. And I spent literally two months on that one verse. I couldn't get beyond in my devotions uh, from that one verse. That verse, God just had me camp on that verse. And I'm just going, what does that mean? What is a pure heart? What is a good conscience? And what is a sincere faith? And it took me a long time to really sit back and allow the Lord to show me what he was meaning in that verse. What is a, a, you know, a, 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 a pure heart? Can I possibly have a pure heart? What is a good conscience? Could I possibly have a good conscience on anything? How about a sincere faith? A faith that you have given to me. How can I even make it sincere, Lord? And, and so as I dealt with that one verse, I, that was my longest time I've ever, one longest stint in my morning devotions, or afternoon or evening, whenever I'm doing them, that's where I camped for about two months in that one passage. It's okay to camp in the Word of God. God is not here for us to race through the Bible. You know, we're not in a race. We just go in and we read. I love what Pastor Steve Maisie, Calvary Chapel of South Bay, um, he passed away a few years ago, but um, what he said uh, a long time ago kind of revolutionized my devotional life. Some of you guys might struggle with this idea of having to get up in the morning and going, man, I've got to read, you know, my daily reading says I've got to read, you know, three chapters here and a chapter and, you know, you know, one or two, you know, Psalms and one proverb, you know, I've got to do this or a certain portion of Proverbs or something like that. And you've got all this stuff that you have to do. And, and I, listen, I'm not against one-year Bibles. They're great. They keep you on track. It's a neat thing. And and I think everybody ought to do it once at least in life. But one of the things that that can do is that can really lead to a lot of duty instead of devotion. And what I mean by that is that you get up and you go, I have a duty to get into the Word of God and I've got to read this and I've got to read it. And if I don't read it, I feel horrible all day because I didn't read it. And if I go to sleep tonight without reading, I feel horrible. And, And though it can be used as something to keep you going... It also can be used as a guilt trip to not really get out of the Word of God really what God wants you to what what He wants you to read. Because how many of you guys that have ever been in a one year Bible get about eight or ten days behind? And you go, holy cow! I'm going to have to spend about two hours here reading and catching up. And you're like, I commend you, Phoebe, sister, servant, football game on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, honey, yeah, I want this. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, And you hit real quick. And Okay, you did it, but did you get anything out of it? And I find when I'm trying to catch up, I don't really get a whole lot out of it. I I get it done. I can mark down in my little mental notebook saying, hey, I crossed that off. But I don't know that that's the relationship that God wants to have with me. And so Steve Mays, Pastor Steve Mays, one of the Calvary chapels out in California, he came to the Bible college one time and he revolutionized my understanding of devotions when he said this one thing and it was so freeing to me and I hope that it frees some of you. He says, read until the Lord speaks to you. Well, I don't understand that. What do you mean by read until the Lord speaks to you? Well, that might be 10 chapters, but that might be one verse. Just read until God speaks to you. Because isn't that the goal of getting up in the morning or getting, you know, in the evening time or whenever you're doing your devotions, isn't that the purpose of a devotion is to spend time with Jesus? So let him speak to you and stop when he's done. 
Because oftentimes when, when the Lord speaks to you, it's like, to me, maybe it doesn't happen to you, but as I go and I see something, there's something so impacting, but I want to get through the rest of the chapter. I'm like, come on, Lord, let's, I get it. I think I get it. But, you know, you just got this sense that the Lord's going, no, no, I'm not done with that. And okay, all right, all right. Kind of waiting on the Lord. And, yeah, that's good. That is really, really great, Lord. I, man, that's awesome. I'll use that someday. Oh, not, this isn't meant for messages. Okay, this is just meant for me. All right, all right, I'll just keep it personal. This is just mine. Um, can I move on? Because I want to get this chapter read. And it's like the Lord's going, no, 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 no. Slow down. I'm talking with you. I'm talking with you. It's my time that I'm spending with you. Spend some time with the Lord. Spend time with the Lord. Take the guilt trip off of your shoulders and just spend some time with Jesus. That's the reason why we go through the Bible the way we do. Because we're, we're going to go through verse by verse as we go through a Bible. As we work through, we're going to pick up, the next time I'm teaching, I'm going to teach through 1 Corinthians. We're going to pick up. Right where I left off, chapter 16, we're going to get into 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'm going to start right there. And as we do, I'm not going to race through 1 Corinthians because there's so much in that letter that Paul wants to write to us and teach us as he is finishing up this chapter today or as he's finishing up this book today. And as you remember, some of you guys were here when I first started this and you were in here for the very first messages and I I mentioned it probably four or five times in my beginning introductory messages in Romans as I got into Romans chapter one. One of the things that I always brought back to your attention was this. The book of Romans is one of the most complete books in all of the word of God. Old and New Testament alike. Now here's the thing. If there was only one book, you've got 66 books in the Word of God, and out of those 66 books, if there was one book that you, that if you, you had to, to have all books taken away from you except for one book, the one book probably that would help you and benefit you the most would be probably the book of Romans because the book of Romans, it has so much of the Old Testament in that, that aligns it with the New Testament and explains why the Old Testament did what it did and why God stated these things in the Old Testament and brought it up into the New Testament and who Christ is and how lost you are apart from Christ and the life that you and I can have with Christ and that with God all things are possible and all things work together for good to those who, are, who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. All things. You know, the struggles that we have in life. You know, the things that I will to do, those are the things that I don't want it, that I don't do, and the things that I will not to do. I don't want to do those things. I find those are the very same things that I practice, and the inward struggle that Paul has, the inward struggle that we have, you know, as he shares there in Romans 7, you know, and he comes to this crescendo of this agonizing crescendo in his life. He says, Oh, wretched man, I am such a wretched man. Who is going to deliver me from this body of death because I'm so frustrated that I want to live for God, but the life that I'm trying to live, I find myself living absolutely contrary to it. I mean, how many of us have struggled with that? If you're a Christian, every one of our hands would be raised in this room. Every one of us struggle with that. And Paul, he flushes it out. And what I mean by that, I don't mean in a negative way. I'm saying he puts skin on it in such a way that we understand what it is, this struggle, this inward struggle. And we look at it and we go, yes, I know what you feel like, Paul. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who is going to deliver me from this body of death? And then he says in verse 25, he says, oh, I thank God through Jesus Christ. And then in just a couple verses later, in verse 1 of chapter 8, he says, there is now therefore, I am convinced, Paul says, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, I as a Christian, I want to condemn myself. I want to shame myself. I want to be beaten down because of the things that I will to do, I don't do. And the things that I will not to do, those are the very things that I practice. And the struggle that Paul had is the same struggle that I have. And Paul comes to this realization that when I am in Christ, old things have passed away. And we're going to get into that in 1 Corinthians. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things will become brand new. I am no longer under condemnation because I'm in Christ. And so Paul just lays out such a beautiful, beautiful document that lays out freedom in Christ. From the book of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, it's probably the most complete book in all of the Word of God. 
and one that you would do well to understand. This is why this is the reason why we spent so much time. But as he's finishing up his letter, this is the last thing that he says. He says, hey, you know, I, I want you to greet these people that are there in Rome that are believers. These are the people that I love. These are people that I, that I, I am pointing out. I'm highlighting. These are some things, that, you know, people that I've gotten to know over the years. You remember Paul had up to the point that he wrote the book of Romans. He had never been in Rome, which is pretty wild that he's writing a book that has so many names in Rome, in the church of Rome. And it's those people that have been affected and, and, and ministered to uh, by Christ in other areas of the world, namely Jerusalem, where Paul would meet up with many of these people and he got to know them. And he, he, it's, it's like me going to Jacksonville this last week. The men that I met up there, I, I, I just, it's, it's one of those things, if you have been to a conference or you've been somewhere where there's other Christians and you've gone for a purpose of studying, on, you know, studying the word or, or maybe you've gone to a church on vacation and you have just latched onto somebody that is just so solid and that you just don't, you, you, you remember them. And they've had an impact in your life because they they really took you in and they've ministered and what have you. It's kind of the thing, the thing that happened to me this last week. You know, I know a lot of those men now, and I miss them. And I think they're 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 awesome guys. They're great guys. They're guys just like us. But here's the thing: I know their names. I know some of the things that are going on in their life. And if I were to write a letter to Jacksonville, I would say, "Hey, you know, here's the thing: say hi to Nelson. Say, hey, greet greet Nelson, man. What a great job he did. Oh yes, greet Joe." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, and, and greet Pat and greet Matt and greet, oh my goodness. And I just start laying out these names. And I, I can share some of the things about these fellas that I got to know up there of what they're, that's what Paul's doing. Even though he had never been in Rome, I've been in Jacksonville, even though he hadn't been in Rome, that's how he's, he's highlighting this. But now the last words that Paul has to say is something that is interesting because he says in verse, um, and, and I back up just into verse one word, into one, one verse back into 16. Um, this is, I'm going to be beginning here and I'm going to finish here real quick. But Paul says, I want you to greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ, they greet you. Um, he, he says, Hey, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now understand, Rome was the metropolis of the world. It was the, it was the heartbeat of the world at the time of Paul's writing. They were the rulers of the known world, basically. They were, that was where all commerce basically went through. They're the ones that dictated things that went on in the world and what have you. They had the strongest military and so on and so forth. So we understand that. Rome, big. Paul wanted to get to Rome, but he had at this point he hadn't had an opportunity to get there. And so Paul is sitting there. He's saying, hey, what I want you to do is that when you greet one another, greet one another with a holy kiss. And, 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 and so I asked this question, what in the world is a holy kiss? Well, I'll tell you what it's not. It's not some creepy dude or creepy girl going around kissing people in the church because Paul gave you the right to do it. You know, oh, hey, holy kiss, brother. You know, holy kiss, sister. You're going, oh, you know, you kind of get that, you know, picture of Aunt Mildred, you know, the wet kisses, you know, on your cheek or something like that. No, I don't like that. I don't like that, you know. Or the, you know, the guy that, that just, he always picks out the most beautiful girls and he goes, hey, holy kiss, you know, and kisses them on the, you, go, ah, you know, just a creepy, that's creepy. Don't do that. Just don't do that, okay? You're going to freak people out. Don't do that. That's not good. That's not Paul giving you the you know, freedom to do that. Paul says, I can do it. Well, not in this church you're not going to do it. You know, if you're creeping people out, don't do it. But back in this time, it was an accepted practice in the culture to actually go to a friend or an acquaintance and give him a kiss on the forehead, maybe a kiss on the cheek, or maybe on both cheeks, kind of weird. The last one, kisses beard. Yeah, that'd be kind of weird, you know. 
a cultural thing, you know, going up. If Andy had this big old long beard going up there and going, Andy, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> you know, and you just go, ooh, you know, that's kind of weird, you know. I'm one of those guys that, you know, guys, whiskers on whiskers, they don't work, man. It kind of messes with me a little bit, you know. But but I think kissing a guy's beard, you think, what's be- what's just above that beard? It's the food that went in the guy's mouth, you know. And what's there hanging out there? I mean, do you wash that thing? You know, I, you know I, but that was an accepted practice to kiss a beard. It was a sign of respect. It was a sign of, it was a sign of, of acceptance. It was a sign of, of relationship that they had. Why would Paul encourage this practice among the church? Well, because many of the people back in that day who came to Christ, think about it, guys, they'd be kicked out of their families. Have you ever talked to a person who came to know the Lord and their family basically denied him from that point on? I'm a brand new walking with the Lord strong believer at the time where I'm taking God serious. When I'm a, a counselor over at, at Harvest Christian Fellowship in, in California, and after church, a guy came up, and he was a he was a fellow from India, and uh, his whole family was in Hinduism, you know. And he came up to me, and he was sharing with me. He was saying, "Now, I accepted the Lord today. What do I? What am I supposed to tell my parents? What am I supposed to say to my family?" And I just I'm an idiot at the time. I don't know. I don't know culture. I don't really know what's going on. I'm going, hey man, go share with them, man, the love of Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm oblivious. And he starts crying. He goes, do you understand that if I tell my dad, if I tell my mom that I became a Christian, that I've turned my back on Hinduism, that I could be punished, they will cast me out of my family. They, they'll have, they will actually have a funeral for me and my family if I, if I go home and tell them this. Now, brand new counselor, what are you going to say to that person? I think it was the first time that God took a two by four and hit me up the side of the head and said, you know what? It's not as easy being a Christian for everyone. Sometimes it costs, and sometimes it costs a lot. And for this guy basically cost him his family. How hard is that? I didn't have to do that. My family, they accepted Christianity. But back in this day, you accepted Christ. You were ostracized, man. If you were a businessman, people would stop doing business with you. You would go bankrupt. You couldn't do business anymore. Your family would cast you out. You'd be an outcast. And Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. What does that do to a new believer in the Lord? In the culture, they're used to being kissed on the forehead or the cheek or maybe the beard or what have you. Um, Girls hopefully didn't have those beards back then. But here's the thing. When you kiss somebody on the cheek or on the forehead or on the beard, it was a sign of, I'm with you, man. I'm an acquaintance of yours. I sincerely care for you. You are, you're, you're my friend. And, and, and for some of those people that had been cast out of their families, you know how important it was for the body of believers to come alongside and say, hey, you know what? I love you. I care for you, man. And I'm here for you. And I can't pretend to know what you're going through. But here's one thing I do know is that I'm going to be here. Do you know how much that is needed within our own church? We need to find, we need as believers, guys, we need to be looking in the back aisles and in the corners of the room and in the single seats where you see someone kind of sitting on their own and go, you know what, they're probably not sitting there because they want to have their own space. Sometimes people are sitting there because they're, number one, deathly afraid of talking to somebody or they don't feel like they fit in. Maybe they feel like, well, my family is, doesn't really, hasn't really accepted me. Maybe this family hasn't accepted me either. That should never happen within the body of Christ. We need to be ministering to people. It's one of the things that I, I purposed in my heart to do up there at the men's conference. I started picking off the guys that were in the, in the fringes. 
that were quiet and sitting off and watching and, and they were enjoying what other people were doing. But nobody was around him. He's going, that's the guy I'm going to go and talk to. That's the guy that I'm going to include. That's the guy that hopefully my goal is to get you plugged in with these guys before I leave here this week. That was successful in some. I was unsuccessful in others. But here's the thing. That's what we are called to be as Christians. Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss because you know what? In the body of Christ, people have laid so much down, but here's the thing. There's so much to be gained in Christ. There's so much to be gained in Christ. It would be a huge blessing to these people to feel loved, of being kindred spirits, of being part of a new family. He says, I urge you, brethren, uh, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine with which you learn and avoid them. For those uh, who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but they serve their own belly by smooth words and flattering speech, deceiving the hearts of the simple. Now, uh, the word there, divisions, that he uses, he says, now I urge you, therefore, brethren, uh, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and those who cause offenses. And the word divisions is a it's a Greek word that I don't you don't need to write down if you're really wanting to, to know it, you can look it up. Um Diho Stasia doesn't mean anything to us other than this. Uh, the the word division, Diho Sestia, means it, it's it's a division, it's a separation, it's a dissension, it's a it's a discord, it's a schism. It's a tearing apart. It's a heresy. It's a disunion. These are things that these people will come into the church and they'll cause these problems within a church. I've had it in a small church. It's it's oftentimes attract. It's attractive to people like that at times. Um, I've had my share of those that have come in and out of the door. There sometimes there is a you know. Listen, I love for people to come in. I love to see God add to this church. I love to see it. But there are some times where there's some blessed subtractions. Um, and there are those that have come in and small churches seem to be a little bit easier prey uh, for some of these fellas, you know, to come in or gals to come in and they'll come in and they, they say the right things. They, they, they come up and they share how wonderful you are and what have you. But there's an agenda. There's something that's going on behind the scenes. Um, I had one guy that was a former pastor that had fallen and he had lost his church and what have you. And he was not, nobody welcomed him into their church. I welcomed him into our church many years ago. And I said, listen, you need to be fed. Come on in and be fed, you know. And so I did. Well, it almost turned around and backfired on me because the guy tried to take over my church. He got to know the people and, and, and I trusted the body of Christ to go and minister to this fellow and the body of Christ did what it was supposed to do but he began to pick off the most vulnerable within the church that actually had some depth to them or so I thought and they began to kind of meet and talk about we need to do this different, we need to do that different and he doesn't teach this way and I can teach this way and I, you know, I mean if you guys really want me to you know, I, I can I can teach if you want me to, you know, and that's the kind of meeting that was going on behind the scenes. I was never invited to that meeting, shock of all shocks, you know. But at the same time this was going on, this guy was inviting me to breakfast or lunch, you know. I remember there was one time over here on McDonald's on Cattleman Road. He sat there and with compassion and concern in his eyes, he put his hand on my shoulder across the table and he says, listen, you can share with me anything that you ever want. Your, I mean, your struggles, whatever you have going on in your life, and you can share with me because it'll go no further. And I had this, one of the worst, biggest red flags that went up in my spirit. I just went, whoa, there is something going on here. There's something going on here. This guy basically, he hugged me, man. He talked and said all the right things. But all while, he was trying to undermine my fellowship. He was trying to find something, some dirt on me to take back to them to kick me out of the body of Christ, get me out of my own church so that he could take over the, the pulpit. You don't think that kind of stuff happens. It happens to small churches. I heard John Corson say one time, listen, nine times out of the statistics are staggering, nine times out of ten that someone pats you on the back, they want you to cough something up. 
That's what this guy was doing. He was patting me on the back. Hey, Pastor Don, Pastor Don, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. (laughs) For your position, you know, for your flock. I'm here to take it, you know. And there came a point where he saw that, you know, it, 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 somebody came to me and said, hey, we're all meeting on Sunday night. I'm going, what? You're all meeting on Sunday night? What do you, what's, what's the meeting about? Oh, we just talk about you. <laughs> cool. What do you say? I'm handsome? Well, no, it has nothing to do with that. And by the way, you're not. But here's the thing. Yeah, we're talking about this and that and the other thing. I'm going, who's running this meeting? And they told me the name. I'm going, Who's there? And it breaks your heart when you see the people that you pour into that are lending their ear to things like that. What was this guy doing? He was causing division in the body of Christ. He'd already split one church. He'd already destroyed one church. Now here he was trying to come into my church and do it again. And most of you who know me, you know that I'm a pretty passive guy. I'm not very aggressive. But I can be very aggressive at times. And I can, become, I can become pretty aggressive when I need to become aggressive. And I can stand my ground when I need to stand my ground. When I feel that the Lord's calling me to do something, and I stood toe-to-toe with this guy. I called every one of these people and stood him up and said, tell me or not, is this what's going on? Why are you leading this meeting? You leading this meeting. Oh, well, it's no, 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 anything wrong. One of the guys started crying. He was on my worship team. He says, We've been doing a lot of stuff that is just not right in my heart. And he started crying and he broke and he says, would you forgive me? I said, I forgive you. I forgive every one of you guys. You can't keep going down this road though. What are you doing? You're trying to divide the body of Christ. Pastor Chuck used to say, when the body of Christ is divided, pray tell who bleeds. It's not me. It's not you. It's the body of Christ that is divided. And that's what Paul says. He says, note those people that are going out there trying to sow discord. Note those people that are out there trying to divide the body of Christ. Because we're brand new, Paul's saying. The body of Christ is brand new. It's brand new. They're going to come in and they're going to try to, Satan is going to try to get in there and cause a division in your body to destroy what God is trying to do. And look at what he says. Those who also cause offenses. That word offenses, I don't have time to get into it today, but that word offenses is the word scandalon, which is where we get our term scandalous from. And that word, Jesus is known as the scandalon. He was the stumbling stone that has caused people to stumble over the mystery of God, which is that God has offered salvation to all mankind because and through Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. It's too simple for some people to handle that Jesus Christ died on a cross, rose again three days later, and provided an opportunity for all mankind, all of the world, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. It's the backbone, it's the very spine of the word of God. It's the very spine of the gospel. But for some, it's too easy. It needs to be more difficult. And so they look at Jesus and they go, preposterous, there's no way that God would ever become a man and subject himself to his subjects. There's no way. And to them... Jesus has become the scandalon, the stumbling stone, because they can't get over this idea that God would ever devise a plan that would incorporate such measures to save mankind. And yet, that's exactly what God did. And for some, he's a savior. To others, he's a scandalon. He's a stumbling stone. He is, he is, Scandalon literally means this. It's a trigger of a trap on which the bait is placed and which, when touched by the animal, springs and causes it to close, encasing uh, uh, or causing entrapment. Jesus became the trigger on the bait. And, and here's the thing. They look at him and say, no, impossible. It's not going to happen. But there's the gospel. That's why it's so awesome is that God would do what he did to save us because there's no amount of work that we could ever do to inherit eternal life. It has to come through Christ. It has to come through Jesus Christ and him alone. 
That's it. There cannot be any more. It's not any books you read. It's not any extra books from the Bible that you read in order to get into heaven. It's not going to someone's church that's going to make you to go to heaven. It's not any of those things. It's not listening to that person's teaching or that person's teaching. It's, as Paul says, I didn't come to you, and we're going to get into this in a few weeks, I didn't come to you with excellence of speech. I didn't come to you with words of all this wonderful worldly wisdom. I came to you... When I came to you, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. And when people start incorporating Jesus Christ and him crucified, plus you got to do this, plus you got to go to that church, plus you have to read this book, plus you have to do, plus, 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 that right there is one of these guys that Paul says, be careful of and note those guys that are adding to the gospel. Be careful of those people. Because here's what they're going to do. He says, for those are such, he says, contrary to the doctrine, urge you, brethren, note those, verse 17, who cause these divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learn, and avoid them. Avoid these people. For those who are such, they don't serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but they serve their own belly. They serve their own appetites. Their appetite, and what that means, appetite, is, is that it serves a a need that they have to feel important. It serves a need that they have to feel, you know, useful. It serves a need that they have to actually have people subjected to them. It serves their own personal need. Maybe it serves their need in order to, you know, uh, uh, accumulate wealth, which is really running rampant over the last 40 years in the United States of America and, and worldwide with the health and wealth pastors that are out there on TV that are saying, hey, give this money, and if you give this money, God's going to return it to you a hundredfold, you know? Breaks my heart, and I asked God to cast judgment on these guys that did this and twisted my grandmother's mind. I grabbed my grandma's Bible the day that, a couple days after she died, and I opened her Bible, and I began to look at these charlatans that she would watch on TV. And she had the dates and the amounts of money that she was sending to these guys so that they could go buy their stinking mansions and their jets. It just infuriated me. I said, Lord, in as much righteous anger as I have, break their teeth. Destroy their ministries. They are not ministries. They're ripping people off. I pity pity guys like that. Jesus is coming back soon. Here, it, I was listening. I was talking to Tori just a few minutes ago before the service. I, was, I, I got a message from one of my best friends. He's a pastor up in Post Falls, Idaho, Bob Davis. And we text each other every Sunday morning, just to encourage one another before we get into the pulpit. And he encouraged me today. And he, he, he says this. He says this. He says, listen. He says, uh, he'd never know that I was reading this. He says, Here's another chance to proclaim Jesus with five exclamation points. He might just come and get us today. Shout it out. Matthew chapter 10, verse 21. What I tell you in the darkness, that speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, then preach upon the housetops. I love you, man. But he said, he might just come and get us today. And you know, as I started to read that, a song came on. Might be the day I look into his eyes. Might be the day I see his face. And I told Tori, I'm going, is that like confirmation? Jesus is coming back today? And we just sat there and said, man, how awesome it would be. How awesome it would be. It could be today. It could be very well today. Paul's just saying, hey gang, don't get caught up in these divisions. Be about the gospel. Be about what it is that you're supposed to do. They serve their own belly. They serve their own appetites with smooth words and flattering speech. They they deceive the hearts of the simple. And so he's saying, hey, there are those that will accept anything that comes from the pulpit because they must know God because they're speaking from behind a pulpit. And the bigger their ministry is, the more the closer they are with God, it must be. There's never, never been anything further from the truth. The size of a congregation does not make the man. 
does not make the teacher. Doesn't mean that some huge congregations out there don't have pastors that are phenomenal teachers. But conversely, it doesn't mean that because a pastor, or and I use that term very, very loosely, has a huge multi-thousand member church, doesn't mean that that guy even has a relationship with God whatsoever. And that's what Paul's saying. Note those who are not teaching the gospel. He says in verse 19, I'm just going to quickly go through this, for your obedience there in Rome has become known to all. Therefore, I'm glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what's good, and I want you to be simple concerning evil. Do I even need to really talk much about that? I want you to be wise in what's good, and I want you to be simple concerning evil. Let's not make Christianity, Paul's saying, more difficult than what it has to be. Let's just do what we're supposed to do and stay away from the things that we shouldn't be dabbling in. How many times somebody will come to me and say, Pastor Don, is it okay for me to go to this movie? Or is it okay for me to go to this dance? Or is it okay for me to say these things? Is it okay for me to listen to this? Is it okay for me to be in a relationship with this person? Is it okay? Is it okay? Is it okay? Is it okay? And oftentimes those questions come to me and they're in this, they're, 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 you know, couched with this idea that if I give them the approval, yeah, I think it's okay. Go for it. You know, that, wow, they've had the hand of the Lord upon them and yeah, now they can go and they can stand before the Lord and go, well, it was okay because the guy that speaks, him, Pastor Don, he said it was good. And and, and so... When, sometimes when, when people ask these questions, is it okay if I do this? Is it okay if a Christian does this? Is it okay if a Christian you know, gets, you know, drinks to get drunk? You know, is it okay? I mean, so they get tipsy. It's a big deal. What's a big deal? My question is this. Why are you asking me how close to the rocks you can get before you crack up? You're asking me, is it okay if I take my boat this close to the rocks? Is it okay? Well, sure, it's okay. But you might slip and crack up on the rocks. And then you're going to be shipwrecked. And you're going to be going, I don't know how this happened. Well, can I just suggest, it's because you were swimming next to the rocks. Get away from the rocks. Here's the idea. Is it okay if I do this? I don't know. Here, let's just rephrase this. Why not swim in the big part of the ocean where there aren't any rocks? And you don't have to worry about cracking up and shipwrecking. How about that? Let's just try that one on. I don't mean to be obnoxious and arrogant and that kind of a thing, because I struggle in those things too. I'm not perfect. I have not gained or attained this place of perfection. I am so far from it. If my wife could get up here, she'd take longer than I am taking right now to tell you just how imperfect I am. Here's the thing. Don't ask, how close to sin can I get before it actually affects me? Why not turn it around and say, how far away from sin can I get so that it doesn't bother me any longer? All things are legal, but not so, things yeah. so here's the thing, guys. We want to, and Paul's going, just be wise in the things that are good and simple concerning the things that are evil. He says, and, 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 and then, listen to this, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. I long for that day where Satan's influence upon our life will be long gone. Do you know that that day's coming? And it's coming very soon. Could be today. Bob Davis said so. Just joking. He didn't say it was going to be today, but he said it could be. Song guy, he said, hey, it might be today. Could be today. Why not today? Satan's going to be crushed one day. That's an allusion back to uh, Genesis chapter 3 where the son that the seed that would come from Mary or from uh, Eve uh, would crush the serpent's head. Um, Timothy, my fellow worker and Lucius, Timothy obviously is Paul's true son in the faith. He's a pastor that Paul commissioned to teach, uh, my fellow worker. And Lucius, uh, Lucius, uh, one of two things. It's either you know one of the guys that was there with him in Antioch, Syria, 
uh, or that helped commission Paul off onto his missionary journeys, or it's very possible, and there's some uh, Bible teachers and scholars that believe that this is possibly a formal name for Luke. I don't know if you knew that. It's kind of a cool thing. You know, this is maybe Luke. You know, Lucius is just a, a, a formal name for Luke. Like, you might know me as Don, but my formal name is Donald. You know, so here's the thing. Uh, Jason and um, Saucipiter, uh, my kinsmen greet you. I, Tur- uh, Tertius, uh, here's something I just, I, 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 I got to finish, but there's something very, very interesting in here. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Now, what is going on? I thought Paul wrote this epistle. Well, he did, but he had a secretary. He had a guy that would scribe what Paul would write, what Paul was saying. Paul was, was, uh, uh, dictating to Tertius what Tertius would write down. So Tertius is saying, I, Tertius, wrote, who wrote this epistle, I actually penned what it was that Paul was saying. I just want to put my name in here and just let you know, hey, I, I'm saying hi too. You know? Paul's been doing all this greeting and everything, but I, hey, I, I did the writing and I want to say hi because I can. Because I got the pen. And so hi... You know, um, and I'm going to talk about Tertius here in a second. But uh, and Gaius, my host and the host of the whole church, he greets you. Paul says, "Here's the thing, Gaius. He's that guy. He's that family that every time there's an event, they have it at their house and they just blow your minds with their hosting. That's Gaius. Paul goes, "Hey, Gaius, my host." Let me tell you, he's the host of the whole church. This guy knows how to do it. This guy just lays it out there. And this guy, he's just known for his hospitality. What a wonderful testimony of Gaius. You know, there's a great thing. Um, Erastus, the treasurer of the city. Think about it. This is the treasurer of the city of Centria is a Christian. So here's a, a government official there in the city. He greets you. Um, and Quartus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all men. But I, I wanted to point out two names here, Tertius and Quartus. Tertius, his name literally means, you know what it means? It means the third. The third. Uh, Gail Sayers uh, wrote, how many of you guys know who Gail Sayers is? Like, okay, good, wow. More than I thought that their, names, their hands would raise. He's a football player. He was a really great running back. But he had so many bad... Uh, injuries in his knees that his his career was cut very very short but he was arguably he could have been probably the best running back of all time because the guy was just crazy insanely good but he got hurt um, there's a movie out called Brian song have any of you guys ever watched Brian song okay all right now that your hands are up how many of you guys cried in Brian song yep me too I did it just <laughs> hardcore I am just I like you know, crazy. But uh, it's about Gail Sayers and Brian Piccolo, who was his other running back. And Gail, and Brian Piccolo ends up getting cancer and what have you. And I'll let you see the movie. If you want to see it, I think I have it. But here's the thing. It's a great movie. Gail Sayers is a Christian. He's a Christian. He wrote a book after his playing days were over. And you know what his book was named? Hey. Right there. I am third. Who is first? God is first. Who is second? My family is second. And God is, and myself. I am third. And I am third. I love the whole title of the book. In fact, you know, Pastor Bob Coy, you know, used to use an acronym back over in Fort Lauderdale. He used joy. You want to have joy in your life? Then live by the acronym Jesus, others, yourself. If it's backwards from that, why yourself, then others, and then Jesus, which is oftentimes how we live, it doesn't make sense because now you're just walking around as a yodge. It doesn't make sense. So you want to have joy, Jesus, others, then yourself. But here's the thing. Tertius means third. Quartus means the fourth. These are names of slaves. They aren't known by their names. They're, named, they're, na- they're, they're known by their numbers. Hey, the third. I wrote this epistle. 
God's using my hand to write down Paul's words. I say hi. Quartus, the fourth. I'm the fourth. I'm the fourth what? You're the fourth slave. Here's the thing. You've got the coolest thing in the body of Christ where you have government officials and slaves sitting in the same pew, raising their same hands to the same Jesus. I love, Love Song used to have, and it's one of the oldest Christian rock, you know, song bands out there, you know, Love Song, you know. And they, they wrote a song for Calvary Chapel when it was still a little church. Little country church on the edge of town. Everybody's coming along. You know, long hair, short hair, some suits and ties. Everybody's praising the Lord. You know, and, and it's just, it was such a picture of, you got a guy in a suit next to a guy and just tatted up hardcore with just, you know, you know, studs and piercings all over him, and they're both crying to Jesus. <laughs> You're just going, where do you see that in the world? You know where you see it? You see it in Jesus Christ. Because there's no wall of division in Christ. And right now, you might feel like you are a number. You're just a number among a mass of billions upon the face of the earth. Who really cares about me? Can I tell you one thing? Jesus cares about you. And you're not just a number to him. He knows you by name. And he loves you. And he cares for you. And he has a plan for you. But my name is Tertius. My name is Third. Yeah, but look what I'm going to do. I'm going to use you to write probably the most important book of the, gospel, of, of, the, of the Bible. But I'm just Third. I don't have the qualifications. Can you pick up that pen and write? Yeah, you have qualifications. Watch what I can do in your life. And I'll even mention your, your, your friend over here, Fourth. Quartz greets you too. Quartus greets you too. The point being, gang, listen. I don't care who you are. You're never a nobody to Jesus. When all life seems to be passing you by and nobody seems to notice you, know this, Jesus always notices you. And he loves you and he wants to give you a life. But you've got to do it on his terms. Now to him, and this just caps it off, he says, now to him, God, who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. And I know for some of you, you're going, okay, well, I don't know what that is. What is the mystery which was kept secret since the world began? I don't understand. It was the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. But, verse 26, it says, but has now been made manifest or has been made known to everyone and by the prophetic scriptures has been made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for the obedience to the faith to God alone wise, uh, to God alone wise be glory through Christ, Jesus Christ forever, amen. So what is this mystery? And I finish with this, this is it. The mystery is this. The gospel, salvation, is offered to all mankind. It's not to just a particular race of people. It's not, partic- it's not open to just a particular group of people. It's open to virtually, not virtually, not virtually. Virtually would say that there was some that would not be included. It is open to every single person in the world. And to you and I, we might look at that and go, ah, we just dismiss it. Well, of course it is. Well, back then, this was huge. Huge news. Huge news. Wait a minute, I thought it was only for the Jews. <laughs> the mystery is that God used the Jews to show his power, to, to, to be upon their life and to minister to them and, and what have you. But they kind of overlooked some of the things that God was doing in their life and they began to take things for granted they began to think that they were owed this from God. When in all actuality, God had chosen them not because they were more wise or more noble, they, because they were greater in, in mind or greater in numbers than anyone. 
He actually chose them. And he says, he actually says, hey, they're stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears at times. But I love them. And I care for them. And here's what it is. I'm going to show my power in them. But there's a purpose for the Jews for a season to show what it would look like if a nation of people make me their God and adhere to my commands, adhere to my direction. Because I will, I, will, I will do such a work in the world that no man will be able to stand up and, and look at that nation and go, there is no God. The problem is, is that the Jews became very comfortable with that and they began to take advantage of God's blessings upon them as if it were owed to them instead of something that was gifted to them by God. And they began to, to become uh, more exclusionary instead of accepting. And the thing is, is that God did this in the Jew to show his power on behalf of one small nation so that the world around would go, how is it that you guys are so blessed? How is it that you guys have so much? How is it that you guys have such peace? How is it that you have such wisdom? How is it that you have such a government set up the way that it is that ministers to your people? How is it that the people like each other? How is it that this happens? This is people. How is it that this happens? And the government then could sit there and say, as well as all the people, well, we're going to tell you the secret. It's not us. It's God. God has done this to us. We just are following his orders. And this is the byproduct of it. So it's only open to you? Well, you know what? There's a provision that God made that if you want to become a part of us, you can. And you can be blessed of God just like we're being blessed of God. Well, I want that. I want that. I want that. Well, that started to go out by the wayside and go, no, 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 no. It's for us. It's ours. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. Do you remember the little Daffy Duck thing, you know? I'm touching one Looney Tune guy, you know? (laughs) You know, it's like a little golden nugget, you know, and he gets shrunk down, Daffy Duck gets shrunk way down. Hey, mine, 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 mine. What? It was a pearl. It was a pearl. Yeah, it was a pearl. <laughs> not, that I, seen it. I, not that he's seen it. Not that Andy's ever watched it, you know. But uh, that's... Uh, no, God's mine. God's mine. The blessings are all mine. The blessings are just ours. It's just ours. It's we for a norm, no more mentality. We for no more mentality. And God said, no, you missed the boat. That's not the boat. The point is, is that I would show myself powerful on your behalf that the world would be attracted to what you have and come under the government that I am setting up through you. But you have become exclusionary and so therefore I'm going to give this to a nation that is not yours. I'm going to open it up to all of the world. You have been useful and you have had a purpose. And God still has, according to the book of Daniel, one more seven-year period that he's going to deal with the, with the nation of Israel. But God loves the Jews. God is not punishing the Jews. God doesn't hate the Jews. I love the Jews. I am a, an avid supporter of Israel. I love them. Been there a couple of times. God loves the Jews. The point is, the mystery The revelation of the mystery since the world began. Here's the thing. Salvation is now open to all mankind, which means that the floodgates have opened up for you and me to be able to come in and be saved. Paul says, and he's able to keep you to the day. That's a a blessing to us, guys. Father, thank you so much for today. And Lord, I know I've taken extra time today. I pray that... that, uh, the weariness on our seats uh, has not affected uh, the acceptance in our minds of what your word has said. I, I pray, Lord, that through this extra few minutes that we spent here today, that it would prove dividends um, throughout the rest of our lives as we understand you and your love and your mercy and your compassion and your grace and your plans for our life, our lives in this room. That, that we understand it more. That we understand your, your life. I pray, God, that you 
would bless these people and the time that they've spent a little bit extra here today, Lord, that you'd redeem that time, but that you'd bring back to remembrance the things that we've talked about here today because, Lord, it's so important for us to live our lives for you, recognizing that you, God, have a plan and a purpose for each one of us regardless of what nationality, regardless of what gender we are, regardless of who we are. We're not just a number, we're a name to you and you have a plan for us. And now, Lord, help us to find that plan in your word, not through other books, but just through your word. I pray that if there was, as I had opened up today and as I finished worship today, I pray that if there's anybody in here that doesn't have a relationship with you and today just made sense to them, today they just thought, you know, I've not really ever heard that Jesus wants a relationship with me as much as I always thought that it was a religious faction that I had to join. There were a, a list of do's and don'ts that I had to I had to follow and abide by. Um, that there was certain creeds that I I had to adopt, and 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 I, there were so many different things that had to change. You know, I, there was today. I heard about a relationship. I heard about the simplistic relationship that God, you want to have with me, knowing that you have my perfect plan at heart. And up to this point, I don't, I don't know what that plan is. I've tried to find the plan. I've tried to find the purpose. And I've tried to take the right paths. But the paths that have, I've been on, and maybe even the current path that I'm on right now, is well, I see that it's going to be another dead end. And, and so, Lord, if you know the path, that, and it just makes sense, you, you should know my path. Because you're God. You created me. You have a plan for me. You didn't just create me to be a number. You created me to be a name. You created me to love you. You created me to to be your child. And so therefore, Lord, today I'm going to do something I really haven't ever done in reality. And that is, I'm going to come before you and I'm going to ask that you, you come into my heart. It's obvious, Lord, I'm a sinner. You know my sin. I've sinned against you my whole life. But God, I want you to come in and and I want you to take my sin away. I I want you to come into my heart and take residence. I want you to come into my heart and my life to every ounce of my being and make me brand new and so that I can know what your plan is for my life. I want to know and experience for one time in my life what it really feels like to be used for the purpose for which you created me to be. I want to be a Christian today. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. I believe you, God, became a man in Jesus and you died on a cross for me because there was no other way. You didn't have to do it. But you did it for me because you loved me. And in a way, that kind of blows my mind. I had nothing to offer you I mean, really, as I think about it, I really don't have anything to offer God. What can I possibly offer God that would make him any more God? And yet, Lord, you asked me for my life. Not so you can punish me, but so that you can take it, make it new, and give it a future and to give it a hope. And Lord, I want that. God, I want that so bad. I want a future and I want to hope with you. Come into my life. Give me purpose. Give me, give me vision. Give me direction. Give me a life that is fulfilled in you. I surrender my life and my wants and my desires. And, and God, I know that that's going to be hard because I'm going to try to take it back a lot. But God, help me on a day-by-day basis to give you my life once again. And you lead me and you guide me and you direct me. And you show me what this life is all about. I'm ready today to do that for the first time in my life. Thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer for all of us, Lord. There might be people in this room right now, Lord, I know that are Christians that have just said that prayer themselves, just going, man, it's been a long time since I've said something like that to God. But today I meant it. Today I said it again. And today, Lord... Forgive me.
for turning my life around and making it all about myself and then others and then you. I want to truly have joy in my life now. So you're first. Let's go at that. Thank you, God, for forgiving me. Thank you, God, for renewal. Thank you, God, for new life. I lift up these precious saints to you, Lord. As we walk out of this place right now, we're going to walk out into a you know, dog pound out there, man, of ravenous wolves and dogs. There's people out there that want to cause our hurt. They're going to, cause, they're going to try to destroy our faith. But God, encourage us and strengthen our minds and our hearts and help us to walk out of this place concrete in you, steadfast in you, knowing that you have placed us into this very difficult world, this very rigid world, to bring it to its knees by introducing them to you, God. Not angrily, aggressively beating them, but Lord, showing them by your love, your mercy and your compassion through our eyes, through our mouth, through our actions. That you are not what this world has made you out to be. You are who this word of God makes you out to be. And that is a compassionate, loving God that desires that all people would be saved. And so, Lord, use us as we walk out of this place today, knowing that that's not our enemy out there. That's our mission field. We're to go out there and minister to these people that you place into our life. They are not our enemies. They are the subjects that we're to go out there and love and introduce to you. And so, Lord, as we leave this place, may it be. God, may it be. I know we're small. But Lord, we can affect this world in you if we just let you do it through us. In Jesus' name, amen.